I would love to have you take your Bibles, if you have one handy, and join me in turning to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, where we will begin our look today at verse 18 and all the way through the end of chapter 2. And, of course, the study sheet in your bulletin will be a help to you, I know. And you'll notice, if you look at that study sheet, that there's an extra page to it starting this week. And those are your community group notes. If you're in a community group, it wouldn't hurt you to kind of glance over there and see what the agenda is for the week. It's a way to cheat, in a sense, because you can take a look over there and take notes as you listen this morning. And my goodness, act like you really... Anyway, never mind. Uh, (laughs) I'll leave that alone. Well, as we we come today to God's Word, I, I would like to introduce you to three young men. And I'm going to take a minute to do this and uh, tell you a bit about each of them by name. And, and you'll understand why I'm doing that as we, as we move ahead here. But three young men, um, one, Juchan Lee, then Diego Sen, and Andrew Troutman, these three young guys. Um, Jochan Lee, um, young man, Korean guy, uh, raised as a missionary kid. Uh, 24 parents uh, served in Uzbekistan and Kyrgyzstan and came to the U.S. for education and uh, wanted to continue his his life preparation to serve Christ. Married a young lady, uh, TESOL major, and the two of them expecting their first child. Fantastic. Good time. Really good time in their lives. Serving a local Korean congregation in, um, in Spokane, assistant pastor. Looking forward, Juchan, to being a dad. There's him. Uh, Andrew, Andrew Troutman, second young man, raised on a, on, a, on a ranch in Montana, loved going to a Bible camp, came to Christ at the Bible camp. There he would meet and marry his wife in July of 2016, both ranchers' kids. Loved adventure, served six years in the Navy. Uh, welder, hole technician, worked in coal mines, oil fields, and even for a period of time, Owned a skateboard company. Try that. Interesting. He'd lost a brother in a car accident in 2013. And so his family was acquainted with grief. Um, And then there's Diego. Diego, raised in an Amazon jungle. His parents served as missionaries. He would describe his early life living in a thatched roof house with no running water or toilet. Tribal friends uh, spent his days fishing, hunting, and swimming. Did not realize that he was... He was sacrificing until much later in life when he, when he discovered other people had other things going on. Age 12, he left his family there in the jungle to go to missionary boarding school, uh, attended uh, Bible college, Ethnos 360, and met his wife there. Um, three kids, uh, a little boy, and then their two miracle twins, they'd call them Malachi and Alani, uh, so named because of their premature birth, and then their thriving afterwards. Well, these three guys, uh, Juchan, uh, Diego, and Andrew, all of them attended flight school, wanting to be missionary pilots. Moody Aviation School, Spokane. If you pay attention to the news, you'll know that these three young men took off on a training flight this last July, 10 weeks ago, as we prepared for day camp here. And the FAA is still trying to figure out what happened, but their plane went down. And all three of these young men died. Three young widows, five little fatherless children, one on the way. The day after uh, Ju Chan died, his wife went to alone. Well, took her mama 
went to her first ultrasound appointment. What do you do with stories like this? You live in this world, don't you? You could add your story to this. You could add your story if I don't understand and what's going on and how does this work? And um, I, I find myself drawn back to the, the story from John 11 that we reflected on briefly last Sunday. Uh, Mary and Martha, of course, and their sister or their brother who died. And they're questioning Jesus when he arrived there in John 11. Lord, if you'd been here, our brother wouldn't have died. And so we ask those questions of, of help me understand. I don't get it. My mind, of course, quickly is drawn to Corey Tenboom's famous poem, the tapestry, some of you familiar with, uh, where she says, at least in part, my life is but a weaving between my Lord and me. I cannot choose the colors he weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent. And the shuttles cease to fly. Will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reasons why? The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. And then he goes on. The tapestry, you should look it up. My mind goes there quickly. Lord, help me. Help me understand. Well, this morning... Uh, As we come to the text here in Matthew 1 and then 2, we're going to look at the nativity, the coming of Jesus. I want to tell you exactly what I want to look at, and then I want to pray for us, and we'll get after it. I want us today not only to reflect on the, the details, the story that I know will be very familiar to you, because you've been around at Christmas, many of you, and we've looked at many of these stories and texts, but I want us in particular to look at uh, the misunderstanding, the cruelty, and the tears of the world into which Jesus came, not to depress you, okay, to encourage you with, with this. As you look at the world and its difficulty and its brokenness and sinfulness, not only out there, but me, I'm part of it. I am encouraged that rather than running away, Jesus came. He entered our broken world. He came to people like you and me in our lostness and difficulty. The light of the world. He came to us. He came. And he understands and he knows. So much more we want to talk about. But I I know, even as I read the story of these three young men, your heart went to elements in your life where you'd say, Lord, I don't understand this either. You probably have some of those today. I want to pray for us that God would help us in his word. Our Father, how good it is to come as uh, this part, early service of its church family. Thank you so much for the privilege of being here. Thank you for the privilege of opening the Word of God together. And, oh, Father, we need need to meet with you today, not only to to shake hands and a cup of coffee and so on, but, our Father, really to, to meet with you, the living God, who truly is, truly loves, truly cares, our Savior, our Redeemer. And it is our prayer that as we spend these moments in your word, that you would encourage our hearts. We see the fallen world. We're so familiar with it. Oh, the beauty around us. Yes. And yet the the brokenness and sadness. Father, draw us to you today. The source of hope. We give you this time in Jesus name. Amen. 
Well, last Sunday, as you know, we begin our study in what will be a, a lengthy uh, journey through the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. We looked at those riveting genealogies last week and the elements surrounding them, in particular, chapter 1, verse 1, and all of those things. Uh, a bit of a review on your study sheet. I'll not go through all of that, but encourage you to take a look. And then our text, uh, Matthew 1, 18 through chapter 2, verse 23. And I'm going to read that whole section. It's a bit, but enter into the story. Look for those elements that um, I've already introduced, and we'll, we'll talk together about what we see here. Matthew 1, then, verse 18, <clears throat> says this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, or magi, your text may say, from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them, uh, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, when they had departed, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night, and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt 
I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. And when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and went and lived in a city called Nazareth, that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. Wow. All right. That is the section that Matthew includes on those early years of Jesus. Now, uh, if you look at your study sheet, there are really just two elements that I want to address today. Uh, the first one I've called welcome to our, okay, our messed up world. And then the second part, I want to look specifically at some of the themes that we identified last week that will be part of our journey through the gospel of Matthew. But I look at this, this messed up world and I have that line in quotes for reasons that I'll share with you a little bit later. Welcome to our world. Um, It's not hard for us. It's not news to talk about how this world is affected and infected by sin. Not too long ago, we read uh, from Romans chapter 8. You may remember that. I think it was last uh, when we had communion. And we read that middle section in Romans 8 about how creation groans. Remember this? Creation groans, suffers as in the pains of childbirth because of the the brokenness of the world, the sinfulness of the world. We groan in our own hearts. Three groans in that text. Three groans and a lot of glory. But this text in Matthew identifies areas of difficulty and sadness. And I'm just going to comment on these three. Uh, scandal is the first. Scandal. Uh, Jesus, of course, born to an unwed mother. Can you imagine the the, the scandal that that broke and followed Jesus the rest of his life. I, I want to just remind us, I know some of us are more familiar than others with some of the elements here. Uh, culturally, we often think of, of the way marriages work here in terms of, you know, some awkward dates. And then somebody pops the question with the photographer behind a tree and they're engaged and then they get married. And that's kind of the way we do it. Some terms are used here that we're less familiar with. And in this cultural setting, what was most likely to have happened is that the two fathers, Mary and Joseph's father, fathers would have been most likely to have arranged this marriage years before engaged. Okay. Years before. Uh, the betrothal was was uh, more than engaged. We often say, well, they were engaged. Well, that's to use our term and to introduce Western thought. Um, you could break an engagement that's pre-betrothal. If the young lady grows up and says, ain't going to happen, for example, um, mom, dad, nope, uh, 
there are ways that you could get out of it. Once the betrothal took place, however, it, it was kind of a done deal. Um, according to, to history and culture at the time, Mary was probably a teenager. Joseph, um, certainly older um, by some distance, no doubt. Uh, but once they were betrothed, you, you took, as the text describes, something that we would call a divorce to break it, even though the marriage had not been consummated. Well, that's the place where they were. They were not together yet. But my goodness, Mary sits down with Joseph one day and says, hey, Joseph, there's this thing with an angel. And, and I seem to be pregnant. Understandably, Joseph, good guy, knows and loves this young lady and says, Mary, angels, angels, really? Wow. I can't imagine being mom and dad, Mary's mom and dad. Honey, getting ready for the big, big day. Well, mom and dad, you should sit down. I try to enter this, this little world. Joseph, being a just man, not wanting to either sign up for this and have everybody know, okay, you're walking a pregnant young lady down the aisle, so to speak, says unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Just Mary, I know, I know, angel, get it. I think we should just set this aside. Wow. If you read the Gospels, you know that this, this element of scandal followed Jesus through his life. Right? You find little hints in others of the Gospels where people knew and people talked. In fact, there's one story I think I, I referenced there on your study sheet. You can look it up in John 8 where Jesus is having a big showdown years later, of course, he's a grown man. He's already begun his ministry and he's engaged in this uh, dialogue with the religious leaders of the time. And, and he's, it's very confrontive. It's uh, heated. It's, uh, you know, people are, people are, you know, we would say in each other's face at the moment. And Jesus says to them, you're of your father, the devil. That's why you're not embracing me and my teaching. You're of your father, the devil. And, and the people responded back. You can just picture the scene. We were not born in adultery. You, you, you sense the little barb. Uh-huh. And it shows up at other places. Oh, oh, if you're going to throw down a different parentage, Jesus, our mama wasn't pregnant when she got married like yours. So it followed him decades later. And of course, I look at that and I think, wow, um, Coming into the world, into a family, Jesus could have done this a lot of different ways. There were reasons, virgin birth and so on, theologically. I, I know, I know. But I just think of the human element today. The human element. Stepping into a family where scandal would now follow you the rest of your life. Mary too. Joseph as well. Jesus. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful that when we think about our, dare I say, our family stories, we have our family stories too, all of us. Um, I would ask for us to raise our hands. If our family has it all together, if there are no stories to be told, uh, uh, fools endeavor. No, our families are broken too. Jesus, son of God, savior, as he welcomed himself into our world. No, he stepped right into a family setting uh, with the story that would follow him the rest of his life. The Magi, I'm going to go straight there. 
the wise men come from the east, Gentiles. Find it very interesting, of course, to think of the Gentiles. We've commented on this last week in 28, the nations, uh, how all of Matthew is leading up to that closing paragraph, really. We looked at that last week, what we call the Great Commission. All of Matthew is, is heading there. Jesus, all authority, go to all the nations, teach them all things, three alls you remember us looking at. And the, the command to go to the nations, now here at the very beginning, among those early people coming, of course, the, the, the shepherds and so on, yes, but, but here come magi, Gentiles from a long ways away. Uh, driven by what Daniel's prophecy hard to say but Jewish writings most certainly coming and I call this deception here um, just a couple of things I find so interesting uh, in ver- chapter 2 verse 3 uh, Matthew says this when Herod the king heard this that people were coming looking for a newborn king he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him and may I just say no kidding and no kidding all right Herod was a bad guy for starters He was a really bad guy. History tells us that Herod uh, ruled by force, aggression, and cruelty that he had, uh, upon his uh, assuming leadership, he'd he'd put to death the last remnants of the the rulers that had preceded him. He had put to death half of the Sanhedrin, uh, you you might say half the Senate, uh, so to speak, killed 300 court officers, and then he had had his wife, his mother-in-law, and three sons all killed. How about that? You don't cross this guy. He was paranoid. Uh, He arranged for um, when he realized that he was very ill and probably dying. He arranged to have a number of the the leading men in Jerusalem assembled in one place to be killed the day he died when they announced his death because he figured when he died, somebody should cry. He wanted weeping in the city. There's Herod. So it's interesting to me when the wise men come, when the Magi arrive and they begin looking around for this other king and Herod is bothered. Why do you think the whole says the all of Jerusalem? Why do you think all of Jerusalem is bothered? Do you think they're going, oh, no, we love Herod. Why would no, but we, we don't want any rivals. No, that's not probably what's going on. Matthew doesn't dig any deeper than that. He just says all of Jerusalem is troubled too. My hunch is Jerusalem's troubled because they're going, oh no, the crazy man is bothered. The crazy man is stirred up. Now what's going to happen? I think that's really what was going on. The Magi, of course, then head out to go find this, this new king. Makes, him, makes a little deal. They make a little deal with Herod. You know the story. I mention here that Herod in chapter 2, verse 8, pretends to be a spiritually minded person. He uses religion as a cloak for intended evil. Can you imagine such a thing? Never been done before and never been done since, right? Uh-huh. Yes. No, we know. We know. Here's, here's a man, a ruler, pretends to be a spiritually minded person, the whole time, never a spiritual bone in his body. Wow. The intervention of God runs all the way through the text, steering, guiding. Now, the Magi, of course, come and meet Christ and the family. Off they go, a different way to go home. And I look with you at chapter 2, verse 16. This awful scene... History calls the killing of the innocents or something similar to that. If you do your bit of research, 
to read this, of course, is to, to, to be struck by the, the craziness of the leader who would order such a thing, the sadness of families. Interestingly, secular history says, well, we don't have any record of this event. How could this be? Um, history would also tell us, though, that this was a very small area. Um, we think of dozens and dozens of children, maybe not, but even just a few of the tragedy of it all. To the casual observer I have on your study sheet, this kind of awfulness makes absolutely no sense. And I pause on that for a moment because people in the area did not know all that had gone on. They didn't know the background of this. And I am always struck by, by suffering, of course, as, as you are. But I'm, I'm also so captured when there is, when we hurt and we see it and we can't make sense of it. You know what I mean about that? Sometimes you can say, well, I can sort of, I don't know, rarely maybe see some, we look for reasons. Help me understand why, as Corey Tenboom's poem would say, understand the reason why. But in this sense, the soldiers come and take the life of some babies. What are you going to do as a parent? Who are you going to call? You're going to call the police? No, so to speak, they just came. Who are you going to complain to? What are you going to do, leave the area? No, you have one recourse, one. And that is to go to God and say, oh God, I can't make head nor tails of this. Help, help. Some of you have been in exactly that place or are there today. Oh, God, I don't get this. This is awful. Irreparable in this case. I wonder about those families. I do. How did they process all of that? What were their lives like? Interesting. uh, Prophet Jeremiah, a voice heard in Ramah. Rachel weeping for her children. Wow. What a, what, a, what a picturesque sense. I'm going to comment more on that in a minute. But I look then at this first section. Welcome to our messed up world. Scandal, deception, cruelty, tears. My point is simply this. The world into which Jesus, Son of God, Savior, came was, was not a little magic, magic kingdom. It was not whole. It was affected and infected by sin and sinful people. Broken, broken, needing, needing a Savior. Now, if you go to that next section, I want to talk about what I've called the music, of course. We introduced that as a, as a helpful way to think about it last week, at least I think so, talking about music and overtures and all kinds of things like that. And there were several things that Matthew uh, introduced last week and we commented on. And when you read all the way through the Gospel of Matthew, you're going to find, as I mentioned last week, all kinds of places where you read uh, as in today's text, as it is written, thus was fulfilled, and so on. And you're going to notice some different things going on. A careful reader of the Bible will notice, and I have it here, some elements that are exact fulfillments. All right? And I give you a couple examples here. Certainly, the virgin birth of Christ, um, looking back to the prophet Isaiah, and then, of course, Bethlehem here, uh, as foretold in Micah 5.2. The exact quotes are there. Um, I, I took the little phrase, this is that, from another writer. So I don't think I, I came up with that myself. That's why I have it in quotes. The idea in this kind of a prophecy is to say, here's a prophecy in the Old Testament. And if a reader can say, oh, it's about that. 
It's, it's this, this, this deal that's going on now is from that prophecy, Christ entering Jerusalem later on a donkey. It's about that. You can see a direct correspondence. Now there's another kind of prophecy that you see reflected in the gospel of Matthew. And I, it's so fascinating. I find them fascinating. Maybe you go, Hmm, it's all the same to me. I don't know, but I'm just telling you so you can look for these, not so much exact correspondence, but, but playing a similar storyline. Okay. So similarities would be the other element. Others of Matthew's prophecies are establishing similarities such as the trip to Egypt Uh, Chapter 2, verse 15, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Well, who was that originally spoken about? Well, the nation of Israel, who likewise went down to Egypt and then was saved out of Egypt. So there was not a specific prophecy. This is where people get stuck sometimes in reading their Bibles. They they look at something like this This is why I raise it because I want us all to be better students of the Bible because of our time together. Sometimes people look at a prophecy like that, read the Old Testament and say, there's not a prophecy like that. There's a comment about Israel. So how can Matthew look back and say, that's a prophecy? And the answer would be from a Bible study angle, it's not an exact prophecy as in there's coming a day when, but Matthew's establishing similarity. He's saying, you remember Israel down to Egypt came back out. Remember how God said out of Egypt, I called my son. It's the same song being played. Now I want you to see the hand of God in history. And there are prophecies throughout the gospels that you can fit into both of these storylines. Some exact, like what you'd expect from prophecy There's coming a day and others where you say, wow, that's Kind of like that happens in Galatians. Again, numerous places here. Now, I mentioned here, for example, the the story of weeping in Ramah. Again, to read the prophet Jeremiah, you can look that up yourself. You look at that and say, well, I'm not sure I really see a prophecy there. That's not Matthew's point. Matthew's pointing out an area and a little bit of history here I have there in front of you. Uh, The little town of Ramah was used as a gathering place for Jewish captives as as they were being hauled off to Babylon. It was a place of weeping back in its day when Israel was being hauled away, taken captive as Jerusalem, Israel fell. Um, that's where they gathered. It's kind of like in the, the Holocaust days, a place where they loaded the trains. Ramah was that. So Jewish people, captives, taken to Ramah and then hauled off to Babylon, most of them never to return. And there was a weeping. Rachel, of course, uh, the, the one of the... The the mothers of Israel, you might say, Old Testament, of course, married to Isaac, um, Jacob, yep, Israel. Rachel weeping for her children. So he's just saying that story is like this one. He's drawing a correspondence in your mind. So you can look for those as you study some exact fulfillment, some similarities intended to say, hey, God is doing this. God is doing this. Now, I love how, as I comment here, in fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, commented on that last week, Abrahamic covenant, Davidic covenant, the Jewish Messiah brings blessing to the nations. And that, of course, is the nod to the wise men, early worshipers of the Savior in this broken world. Now, one other area, I have it down under the response section, I want to comment on. If you look with me at chapter 2, uh, verse 23, one other element that I, I, I think is 
I put it under response because I, it, it speaks to my soul in a different way than I suppose study alone. But Nazareth, what's the deal with Nazareth? Well, just a little bit of background. Uh, the Hebrew word for, for Nazar or Nazareth, it comes out of the, the word Nesser, branch. And you remember in the prophets, Christ is called the branch. Like a tree that's been cut off and there's just a stump and then a branch comes. Christ is called the branch. It's one of the prophetic words that's used to describe coming Messiah. The branch, Nesser. And here's a little town, Nazareth. You could also, if they had a, back in the day, if they had a sign that said, welcome to Nazareth, right? We have little signs in our towns, welcome to such and such, the home of, uh, you know, the golf tournament and so on. They might have said, welcome to Nazareth, the town of the branch. Who would know that years later, Messiah, the branch, would come and be called by the name of the town? And I appreciate that because, as I have here in front of you, Nazareth was like the south side of Chicago or other parts of towns where you say, that's not a good place to be from. All the way through the story of Jesus and his coming, scandal, deception, cruelty, tears, and then Jesus placing himself by, by God's design, kind of in the bad part of town, mixed, mixed race people, Jewish and Gentile, all crammed together. That's not what good Jewish people liked. But various ethnicities put together there in Nazareth, and that's where the Savior went. I'm so grateful uh, for, for that. Now, I, I'd love to have you go with me to Philippians chapter 2. I just want to reflect on this a little bit and chat a little more about this business of being welcome to our messed up world. Uh, I, love, I love Philippians 2. It's one of the classic texts in which we find the story of Jesus leaving the glory of heaven and taking on a human body, being made in the likeness of humanity, Truly human, truly God. I want to read Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Paul says this, have this, this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard or did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing or of no reputation, taking the form of a servant, being found in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that little paragraph, in a sense, could serve as commentary over what we just looked at in Matthew 1 and 2. Jesus humbled himself, and I have here in front of you some things to think about. Listen carefully. When Jesus asks you to humble yourself, he's not asking you to do anything that he has not already done. Right? When Jesus asks you to serve ungrateful people, he's not asking you to do anything that he has not already himself done. When Jesus asks you to go first in some area of sacrifice and difficulty for the good of others, he's not asking you to do something that he has not already done himself. 
When he asks you to do something that's going to hurt all the way to death, it's going to kill me to do that, you might say, tongue in cheek. Jesus could quickly say, I'm not asking you to do anything I haven't done. Because he poured out his life's blood for our good, for our salvation. And I find here among the things that we must do in life, uh, serving other people, serving other people that are ungrateful, humbling ourselves, taking it on the chin, maybe when it's undeserved, maybe. In all of those things, Christ went ahead of me. He served the ungrateful. He served the unlovely. He humbled himself more than I will ever do. All for our ultimate salvation. And when I'm called upon to do those same things, as much as I chafe and don't like it a bit. um, Do you? And not so much. Those are things that Christ already did. And I get to follow in his footsteps. I'm really grateful. Uh, There's a Christmas song. I've already started listening to Christmas music. There's my confession for the morning. What? It's almost almost October. (laughs) You know that I like to get an early start on such things. Um, There's so much good Christmas music and so little time. I know for all you purists who wait till after Thanksgiving, you'll never get it through. You'll never be. You've got as much Christmas music as I do. You're never going to hear it all. Well, I've already started. And so I I listened to the song by Chris Rice called Welcome to Our World. That's the title I used earlier for that first section. Welcome to Our World. And I've always liked this song because it speaks to me about the world into which Christ came, the world that I know pretty well, and so do you. He says this, tears are falling, hearts are breaking, how we need to hear from God. You've been promised. We've been waiting. Welcome, holy child. Hope that you don't mind our manger. How I wish we could have known, but long-awaited holy stranger, make yourself at home. Please make yourself at home. Bring your peace into our violence. Bid our hungry souls be filled. Word now breaking heaven's silence. Remember, 400 years. Welcome to our world. Fragile finger sent to heal us. Tender brow prepared for thorn. Tiny heart whose blood will save us. Unto us is born. So wrap our injured flesh around you. Breathe our air and walk our sod. Rob our sins. Take them. Make us holy, perfect son of God. Welcome to our world. Welcome to our world. I love that song. It speaks to me about the world that I know and the world you do too. Jesus came, welcomed by misunderstanding, cruelty, and tears. He came to be your savior from sin. He came not simply to be a good example. He came to live a perfect life, pour out his life's blood on a cross so that your sin could be forgiven by a holy God. He rose from the dead, sacrifice accepted by the Father, the pattern that you and I can follow as well, resurrection. He calls us to trust. He calls us to believe that he died in our place. I hope you believe that today. I hope you do. I hope that you know Christ as your Savior from sin. 
trusting him and him alone. I would love to pray for us if you would stand with me. Let's trust God to use his word in our hearts today. Father, how we thank you today for your word. Thank you for the story of Jesus, this familiar nativity account, really. And yet today, just this focus on the difficulty. Father, we're so familiar. I'm sure around this room, I know to be true. Around this room, difficulty and tears, even in the last year, sorrows and sadness that are our own questions that we have often asked, Lord, I don't understand. I don't understand. Thank you. Thank you for coming to our world. Thank you for being our God and our Savior, the one who knows us and loves us. I pray today for each person here that your hand would be upon them for good. Draw their hearts to you in faith. Encourage us today in Christ. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.